prayer requests up. Uh, he kind of gave the choice. I do, I do really appreciate and think it's a good thing for us to do this break up and spend some time together. I like praying with different people and and uh, getting to uh, just a lot. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in His name, there are a lot of voices lifted in prayer. So that's a blessing. We're in Ruth chapter two. We are in uh, Ruth chapter two. We're uh, talked last week about uh, the beginning of her reaping, and I'm going to very quickly do uh, just a review on uh, on this part that we went over last week. Sometimes I can get into the review and <laughs> use as much, much most of the sermon, but I won't do that tonight. Um, after coming to Bethlehem, Ruth is working as a gleaner in the barley fields, and this might seem like a low point in her life, which it was, by the way. It was humiliating uh, to do this because it was a sign of poverty. And yet, uh, she was faithful during that time. And obviously, we know, if you know the book of Ruth, if you don't, stick around. We'll talk about it as we go through. But uh, this is what led her to meet Boaz, to be the mother of uh, Obed, to be in the line of Jesus Christ. And so, because of her faithfulness. And it might be at our lowest point in our life that God brings about a situation that changes everything. And so, we need to just be faithful during the good times and the bad. But in our review, the, uh, we looked at the proposal for the reaping. There's not much that these widows could do, but there was one thing they could gather food by gleaning the fields being harvested. We saw in that willingness, and uh, Ruth is the one that brought it up to Naomi. Let me go in the field and glean in verse three or verse 2. It's interesting that Ruth initiated it, not Naomi. This emphasizes her willingness to be a help. And then we saw the respectfulness, the fact that she... Uh, asked uh, her mother-in-law to do this. It shows respect for her. We saw the quickness. Let me now go and glean. The emphasis on the word now there. Uh, no point in wasting time. If food was going to be gotten through gleaning, she would have to get to it before the harvest was over. And then we saw the industriousness, the fact that this was work. She was a diligent person, and she volunteered for it. Achievers in life are not lazy. They are workers, as we see uh, through our lives as well. Then we saw humbleness. Uh, this was a humble work. Gleaning was. It said that you were poor and in need. When you have come to the place where gleaning is your last resort, it's a humbling situation. But Proverbs 15.33 describes her situation well when it says, before honor is humility. And so this was a, true in her life as well. We saw the lawfulness, the fact that this was a, a provision set aside by Moses all the way back with him. The gleaning law uh, did not give the barley to the needy. Uh, they had to go out and work for it. This is a better welfare system than what we have, and of course we won't get political tonight, but uh, it gave people an opportunity to work for what they got. And that's a good thing, by the way. God has a lot of blessings for us. It's never apart from our duty or our labor. Uh, he expects us to be busy for it. As we mentioned last week, God, or two weeks ago, God uh, feeds the birds, but he doesn't put the food in their nest. Then graciousness. Uh, let me now, verse 2, glean after him in whose sight I shall find grace. Yes, she had legal right to glean the fields, but she didn't demand it of the owner. She didn't get a picket sign. She, didn't, uh, uh, she was nice and gracious about it. Just because we have a right to do something doesn't mean we can't be gracious, and, and Ruth was. And then the steadfastness. Uh, just with, with poverty staring her in the face, with this humility humiliating experience looking at her she still did not ask Naomi to go back to Moab she still stayed uh, steadfast in her resolve 
Poverty can be a test to your spiritual resolve, and she stayed true. And then uh, we ended with the acceptableness. Naomi accepted Ruth's suggestion, even though it was probably hard for her. Uh, being reduced to gleaning again was humiliating, but that's what they were doing. But tonight, I want to start, we'll read verse number 3 through verse 6 of chapter 2. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant, which was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. Father, I pray you'd help us in the next few minutes here uh, to uh, see from your word what you'd have for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. When Ruth left the house, she's not certain where she was going to reap. It would kind of depend on where she could get permission. That's what she had said. She's going to find a place that she would, uh, uh, that where they would let her go. Look at the words in verse 3, and she went and came. Uh, I, I like those two words. Before Ruth could glean uh, any kind of harvest for her and Naomi, she first had to go and find a place to glean from. So in verse 3, she went, it's only two words, but it shows the good effort of Ruth to try and find out, uh, seek out a place. She went was necessary. Nobody was knocking at her door with free bag of groceries. Nobody was sending to her house a check or an EBT card, is it called? Uh, nobody was doing that for her. She had to go, and she had to ask. Now, because many farmers, as we mentioned last week, disobeyed the gleaning laws, uh, it was important the poor would have to find a, a field that would let them glean. Or, you know, they were supposed to leave a certain amount laying. Well, not all of them did. Uh, some of them were greedy and wouldn't uh, do that, so they had to search for a field. Also, Ruth being a foreigner would make it even harder uh, to, to find a place that would let her get it. But still she went, and it resulted in blessing for her. Do not avoid a task because it looks difficult. Booker T. Washington said this, Success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as by the obstacles that one has overcome to get to that position. And she overcame this obstacle. We have to overcome obstacles in our life if we're going to achieve anything. Spurgeon said, many men owe the grandeur of their lives to their tremendous difficulties. Well, she went, the Bible says, and she did so regardless of the difficulty. She came tells us that she was successful in her diligence and her pursuit for a place to glean. So uh, we see that the came was a result of the went. She couldn't have came and found what she wanted without the went in her life. If you want the success of the came, you, want, you have to have the diligence of the went. A lot of people want the came blessings in their life, but not the went efforts that go with it. That makes sense? She had to go before she could come uh, and be successful in it. So success isn't an accident. It is a, a result of earnest effort. Now, who remembers Paul Harvey? I, uh, well, yeah, all of us. All of us, as old as I am and older, we remember Paul Harvey. Uh, he, someone asked Paul Harvey one time the secret of his success, and he simply said this, I get up when I fall down. And that is a great secret right there. Uh, it, is not, uh, it is not without some difficulty. Uh, and she did go. She overcame the racial differences, the, the poverty differences, and the shame, and all that would go along with this. She overcame that, 
and she was successful. Now, I also look at the, not only the pursuing of a place, but the providence in the place. Look at verse number three. Her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging into Boaz, which was of the kindred of Elimelech. Now, hap, you know what hap is a shortened version of, is it just so happened. It happened that she landed on this field. The Hebrew word translated hap in our text is found ten times in the Old Testament. It means an unforeseen meeting or event, accident, happening, chance, and fortune. That's the meanings of, those, of that word. The world calls it luck or an accident. But in God's dealings with man, I don't believe there are any accidents. I believe that God orders the affairs of men. Her hap here, uh, it might have seemed like a hap to her, but I believe God was involved all over this, as we'll see as it works out. And God was working on her behalf. I do not believe in coincidences per se. I know there's coincidental things that happen, but for a Christian, coincidence is often a way that God just chooses to remain anonymous and uh, working behind the scene. The definition of coincidence is the occurrence of two or more events at one time by mere chance. Now, there's an instance in the New Testament where you have this coincidence or this chance occurrence. It's found in Luke chapter 10, verse 31. The Bible says, And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. If you're familiar with that, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, Let's just put our school hats on for just a minute. I know it's a Wednesday night, we're tired, but we'll do a little word study here. That word chance comes from the combination of two words. The Greek word for it is sunkoria. And it comes from two uh, root words, sun and kurias. Those are the Greek words. Sun means with, and kurias means he to whom a person belongs, about which he has the power of deciding, master, lord, the title given to God. So, if you put those two together and look at that word chance or coincidence, it is given in Luke chapter 10, this would be the biblical definition. What occurs together by God's providential arrangement of circumstances. Now, isn't that enough to make even a tired Baptist on a Wednesday night say amen? God working out these things together. Uh, her hap was like, well, it might have seemed like a hap to her, and it might seem like a hap to you, the things that happen. But God, I believe, directs in the affairs of men. How many times can you look back in your life and just bring to memory things that happened, and at the time it might have seemed very difficult, or it might have seemed very out of place in your life. You might have went against your plans and messed up your schedule and messed up your five, ten rest of your life year plan. But now you look back and you see that what seemed like a, something that happened, now God's worked out things from it. And so, understand that God's got it under control. What is tragedy to me can be triumph to him. And this should encourage us who are going through hardship, through affliction. Don't fret away uh, the bad breaks in your life or the things that happen that you think are, are just so tragedy, tragic. Sometimes it seems like it at the time. Uh, we oughtn't get bitter or plot revenge against those who may be responsible for it. God can turn your tragedy into triumph. He did so with Ruth and uh, does so all throughout the Bible. Of course, he does the same for us as well. He can turn your misery into joy. He can turn your defeat into victory. And uh, her hap, I just like that word, hap. 
was to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz. I think that verse, as God directed the writer to write that verse, maybe there's a hint of a smile on his face. Yeah, that just happened. Uh, and to, what, what seems like that to us, uh, God's behind it many times. Boaz was a relative, just happened to be a relative of Elimelech, uh, Naomi's late husband. Because of his relationship and because of his riches, Boaz was more than capable of helping Ruth and Naomi, not only materially, but in marriage. Boaz, we talked in the first part of this uh, study about leveret marriage, when she talked about having another son to marry Ruth. Uh, this was a time of leveret marriage, where if a, if a husband died, then she would marry his family member, or, or brother, next would be brother, or cousin, or family member. And because he was related, he could fulfill that leveret marriage, and so... All of this just happened? Well, no. We can see God's hand all over this book. And I just encourage you to see his hand in your life as well. God knows exactly what the right circumstances are, and he knows how to arrange them. Now, it's also important to note this. Divine providence does not favor everyone. Uh, there are some preconditions for us to enjoy the blessings of divine providence. The main condition would be obedience. I, I don't believe that God's providence favors a disobedient Christian. I mean, if we're disobedient, God's not going to be looking to bless us. Uh, when we get in the path of disobedience, that's when we'll see God's provision. And then what does the world call them? Lucky coincidences. <laughs> and we know if we're faithful, if we're obedient, God works things out all the time. I can look back, and you can too. We could just stop preaching right now and give testimonies for the rest of the night how God's worked things out in our life didn't seem so at the time but looking back how amazing it is the the one of the greatest most crushing defeats in my entire life led me to where I am out here today and uh, it's a it's a long story we could all tell stories like that uh, but God's in control let's trust him by the way that's why we're obedient amen we're obedient because we trust that he knows better for us than we know for ourselves. We're obedient because he's in control of circumstances that we don't even, we're not even aware of yet. Why would I put more faith in myself who has a hazy memory of the past, no knowledge of the future, and a, just a perceived uh, reality of the present? I mean, I think I know what's going on sometimes. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that either. God knows the past, the present, and the future. Let's just trust him. Now, let's look at Boaz. We learn a lot about Boaz, who is the provider here in the reaping. Uh, the introduce, uh, introduction here, verse number one, actually it talks about him. Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth, of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. There's two important things are said about Boaz, his riches and his relatives. Uh, his riches, he was a mighty man of wealth. He owned the fields that she was harvest that were being harvested right now. Uh, he had the wealth to later redeem Naomi's property, which included marrying Ruth, chapter 4. We'll get to that later. Uh, Boaz's great wealth is a very important factor in the story of Ruth. But as we find out more about him, I think the Bible could just as easily say he was a mighty man of character. Now you see a lot of, there's a lot to admire about Boaz, and we'll get to him as we work throughout the book here. But he was an outstanding man, uh, a, very high, a man of very high moral character, in which the book of Ruth, I think, shows repeatedly. But he was also a relative. 
a kinsman of her husband's of the family of Elimelech. Boaz was related to Naomi through her husband, her late husband, Elimelech. This relationship was such that Boaz could now qualify to be the kinsman redeemer of Ruth and Naomi. All of this, is, there's a wonderful picture of Christ here, which was Romans chapter 1 verse 3, remember it says that he was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, uh, that he might identify with man, and then later uh, he could be the redeemer of man from sin. He was, he was our kinsman redeemer, the great kinsman redeemer. So we see a lot about the gospel in the book of Ruth, as we'll get to, we'll point those things out as we work through it. But if you look at the relationship of Boaz to Elimelech, it made it possible for Boaz to redeem, uh, which talks about in chapter 4, verse 4, Naomi's property, also the marriage to uh, Ruth. It's impressive, by the way, that Naomi had this rich relative. There's no record in Scripture that she's off knocking on his door begging uh, help from him. They're out working and uh, doing what it takes for them to survive and get food. I, f I find that's kind of impressive. Uh, people that are able to come and, and uh, try to make it for themselves. Matthew Henry said, Naomi, though a poor widow, had rich relations, yet uh, she, whom she yet boasted not of, nor was burdensome to, nor expected anything from when she returned to Bethlehem in distress. I think that speaks of Naomi's character. She chose to work to provide for her needs rather than begging from a rich relative. That shows good character. Work ought to always be our first go-to in a time of need. Uh, that's just how we ought to th Not that we shouldn't help one another, obviously, but we ought to think that way. Not long ago, um, I had a fellow time to time we have people call for financial help from the church. And, of course, we have a specific fund for that. We want to help people that need help. And, and uh, so I had somebody call, and I always take down his name, his or her name, and I always call them back after I do a little due diligence which usually includes social media. You say you stalk people? Absolutely. If they're asking for money, I go, to, I go into stalker mode and I start to find out about them. Well, anyway, I plugged this guy's name in and uh, I had asked him enough questions to know I had the right person. And the second post down on Facebook was uh, one of those, you know, when they have color little phrases and it was in color and it said, work is a four-letter word. Guess what two-letter word he got from me when he asked for... for I, I just... That doesn't impress me when a person... I don't want to work. I'm just going to go around and ask for, for uh, money. So if you're not willing to work, I, I for one, am not that eager to help you. And uh, the Bible, by the way, lest you think I'm a horrible person, the Bible says if you're not willing to work, you shouldn't even eat. Amen? So uh, let's live by that. By the way, help did come to Ruth and Naomi only after they got to work. And so God blesses that. I really believe he does that. And again... There are times in our lives we need help. Nothing wrong with that. I think we've all received it and given it, and that's a good thing. The inspecting here, look at Boaz at verse 4, came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you, and they answered, And the Lord bless thee. Boaz visits to the fields to inspect the harvest, explains somewhat he was, how, why he was doing well. He was attentive to the condition of his possessions. Uh, Proverbs 27, 23, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds, for riches are not forever. Uh, he was not only interested in his barley fields, but I love the way he treats his servants too. Uh, he was interested in them. He was a good steward of his possessions. When God gives us blessings, he expects us to take care of them. Matthew 25, 14 through 30 talks about that. 
Boaz did and became a wealthy man and enabled him to help others, which is why the New Testament tells us we have wealth in the first place so that we might help those in need. Uh, he said unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless thee. The greeting here of Boaz to his servants, it shows a good employee-employer relationship. Uh, it, it really gives us three excellent things about Boaz. I just want to go through these quickly and then uh, we'll leave it there for the evening. But the Lord be with you, he said. Now, we're going to see later, Boaz was a godly man. This is reflected in how he deals with people. He was not crude or abusive to his workers. And may I just say, if we are godly, live godly lives, trying to serve the Lord to the best of our ability, we're going to treat our fellow human beings with respect. We're not going to be rude and crude and nasty and you know, yell at people in traffic or tell people they're number one with the wrong finger, those type of things. We don't, we don't uh, do those things as Christians. We treat people with respect. Everything he did in the book of Ruth, that's recorded in Ruth anyway, reflects a life that would honor God. And that's a good thing to be said about anybody. Uh, Boaz was that way in the field. He didn't just put his Christian suit on Sunday and, and live like the devil the rest of the week. He, was, uh, he, he lived it and wore his faith all the time. It's a great example for us. Then you have the influence of Boaz. They answered him, the Lord bless thee. So Boaz used his position of authority to honor God, and look how his workers responded to this. This shows the noble influence that Boaz had on his servants. And it begs the question, does your life, your testimony, inspire others to live better, to live holy? Boaz certainly did. We can see the way that they interacted here. There's a great relationship there. Now, there's a contrast of Boaz here, because Remember, this is taking place in the time of the judges. And this was a period of time of spiritual degradation. And God was not honored during this time as a whole. The children of Israel as a whole were wicked before God. But in spite of all this, Boaz honored God in his life. And all of this tells us, as we've said over and over, we see it all throughout the Bible, you can live godly no matter what those around you are doing. Man, Noah did. I mean, the whole world was wicked beyond our imagination. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He lived righteously, even though the whole world was wicked around him. Uh, so you cannot blame, none of us can, blame our failure to live for God or our moral failures on the fact that those around us are living ungodly. Now, it doesn't make it easy, but we can live for God around ungodly people. Many have done it before us. It's not easy to live God for God at any time, but it is always possible to live for God at any time. And so we need to be faithful in that. Uh, boy, we're almost at eight, so I'm going to stop because now we get into the romance. You don't want to miss that next week as he starts to inquire like a, like a fifth or sixth grade boy. Who's that girl I see? So we'll get into that next week. And uh, it's an interesting thing. It, it really, Ruth is, one of the things Ruth is, is, it's a romance novel. If you really get into the book of Ruth, and, and it's a correct one, how it ought to go. And it's a blessing to see that. So thank you for coming tonight. Thank you for praying.